Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. I wanted to ask a question before I read this passage. It's just something that I thought about as I was preparing this. And uh, my question to you is, do you get... And this is a crazy question. Are you discouraged now in your walk with Christ? Um, Do you get discouraged in your walk? Are you disheartened um, in your walk with Christ? Um, You you see your faith dwindling. Um, You've turned back to that sin time and time again. And and you're disheartened and discouraged. I know that I, I get there. Um, I've been there recently, um, and, and, and I just want you to think through that as we read through this passage, because the Apostle Peter, he's there. When we read this, you'll see it. So we're going to be in John chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14 at the beginning, and then at the end uh, of the sermon, uh, we'll read verses 15 through 19. So this is God's Word, John 21. 1 through 14. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon and Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are like these disciples, huddled together in fear, slow to believe what you've promised, 
And you are the same Jesus to us that you were to them. You have not changed. And you come to us. You you confront us and comfort us and restore us. And so please do that this morning. Help us in Christ's name. Amen. And so the main... The, the, the main point that we're going to see here this morning is that Jesus, he pursues and confronts Peter to restore him. So we're going to see that in two points this morning. We're going to see a retreating disciple, and we're going to see a restoring Savior. So first, a retreating disciple. When you read through John, in John 19, you read of the crucifixion of Jesus and then in, in chapter 20, you, you read of Mary Magdalene uh, on the, going on the first day of the week, going to the tomb. And Jesus isn't there. He's not there anymore. And she runs back and she tells the disciples that he's not here. He's not in the grave. And so Peter and John run to the tomb. And it's funny when you read through John, John has to let you know that he actually beat Peter to the tomb pretty funny. Um, but, he, but they get there and they don't see him. And then they go back and it says in John 20 and, and uh, well, yeah, in John 20 that they're huddled up in a room in fear. They're in fear of the Jews. And Jesus, he comes in and stands among them and he says, peace be with you. And so this is a great benediction and blessing to receive from Jesus, the Lord of all, to tell you, peace, be, be with you. The one that you had strife and, and, and enmity and war, the one that you hated because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus comes and says, peace. So he tells the disciples, he says, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his pierced side. It's really, you know, it's really me is what he's telling them. And it says the disciples were glad. And then Jesus said again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And then we get this very interesting verse in John 20. It says Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so Jesus, he is reminding his disciples that they have received peace through their faith, through their believing in him. They have peace with God. He's reminding uh, them of their commission to go out and to make disciples and to preach the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then he appears to them once more after all this, and he says, peace be to you. The days of enmity with God are over. We read of Thomas, doubting Thomas. He's, he's, he's still doubting it. They tell him they've seen the Lord Jesus, and he says, I won't believe it unless I can touch his hands and his side. And Jesus comes back and allows him to do that. I, and in all this, I just want you to see the unfathomable mercy of Jesus to continue to come back to his disciples and remind them of peace to show himself to them. And at this point, you would think, 
or at least I was thinking that, you know, after all these blessings, these benedictions of peace, and this reminder, and then the Holy Spirit, you know, being, being given to them, and it would come in greater measure in Acts, but you would think that they would be amped up and ready to head out and accomplish the purposes for which he has called them. Armed with the, the weapons of righteousness, the, the sword of the Spirit, you know, the shield of faith, But what do we see? They were huddled up there. He gives them that. He he comes and speaks to them. And then here in 21, verses 1 through 3 tell us that Peter, the rock, one of the three closest companions of Jesus, someone who saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he heard the voice from heaven say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That Peter says... I'm going fishing. He goes back to his day job. And I know last week we talked about calling, and so this isn't some not, like if if you're, not everyone is called to pastoral ministry, but, but if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a disciple, and we're called to make disciples. But Peter goes back to fishing, and it says he went back into the boat, and he toiled, or they, he took disciples with him, and they toiled all night and caught nothing. You know, some commentators are divided on what what exactly is going on here. They think, well, Peter's a man and he's hungry and he knows how to fish, so he's just going back fishing. You know, they're human, they have to eat. But I side with those that see this as a retreating. I mean, there's a reason that John put this in here. He He does not mince his words here. He puts it in here for a reason. They've gone back. The Lord revealed himself comforted them, commissioned them, and now they're back in the water. So why is this such a big deal? First, this this scene is reminiscent to Luke chapter 5 when Jesus calls the disciples initially. What were they doing? They were fishing. They were in a boat. The boys were in a boat. Jesus gets in with them. And after a night of fishing, they had caught nothing, Jesus says, you know, cast your, cast your nets in. Let them down for a catch. And what does Peter do in that moment back in, early in the Gospels? He's like, Lord, we've told all night. I'm, I'm the fisherman. I know what I'm doing. This would be like him coming out to your farm, and you're like the best farmer in Greenwood, and you haven't been, no, no crops have been growing, and he comes out and he tells you, you know, hey, cast some seed out again. And you'd be like, man, I, I know what I'm doing, but at your word, I'll, I'll do it. Peter reluctantly lets down the the nets and a great haul of fish, or they haul a great haul of fish into the boat. The nets are bursting back there in Luke chapter 5, and Peter falls down on his knees, and he says, depart from me, Lord. He knew that he was in the presence of holiness. He knew that he was in, in the presence of someone who is more than just a man. He falls down on his knees, and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Depart from me. So this scene here is reminiscent of that. Here they are back in the boat. And so uh, in that earlier scene in Luke 5, Jesus, after he hauls in, or after they haul in that great catch and Peter falls down and hits his knees, he tells him and the other disciples, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to go out with the gospel, you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to haul in men like you did fish. So they knew that. 
And what are they doing? They're, they're, they're back to catching speckled trout or whatever kind of fish are in that water. I, I'm, you fishermen are probably laughing at me because I don't know. I don't know what kind of fish it would have been. But here they are back to catching fish, so we've come full circle. You know, Peter could not shake. I believe that in this moment, Peter could not shake what he had done. He couldn't shake away from it. The shame of uh, rejecting and denying Christ was surely in his mind and in his heart. And he's thinking, how can I be used of the Lord? How could he love me? I've rejected him. He told me I would do it, and I've done it. After Peter, as, as Richard read this morning, he declared his love for the Lord. He said, I'll lay my life down for you. I'll die for you. And Jesus reminded him, he said, no, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. And just as Jesus said he would do it, he did. And can you, so my question to you and to myself is can you put yourself in his shoes for a moment? You know, and like I said, you may be there now. You've made great promises to the Lord. I won't go back and do what I just did. I won't say the thing that I've said before to my husband or my wife or my friend. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna have the extra one, two, three drinks. I'm not going back to that. I'm not going to yell at my children in unrighteous anger. I'm not going to gossip anymore. You know, we say those things and we fail. We go back and we continue to do what, we, we, what we've done before. And what do we typically do in these situations when we've fallen into sin or we've walked headlong into it we tend to retreat we don't lose our salvation but we tend to retreat we go back to fishing we go back to doing the things that we think we can do well you know the things that naturally we can do well we go back to something familiar something that makes us feel useful we go back to what we can do to make us feel useful and loved. Something to make us feel worthy. Peter went back to fishing. But thank the Lord that he doesn't leave Peter and he doesn't leave you and he doesn't leave me. He doesn't leave us alone. The Lord seeks till he finds. And sometimes he has to wound us to restore us like a skilled surgeon that has to cut away disease to make, make a person whole, a, a physical therapist that has to bend the knee after the surgery to get it back right. And so here we're going to see Jesus is the restoring Savior. He shows up. He shows up at this beach. They're out fishing. He comes to them. He could have left them. He could have let them go on and just do what they were going to do, but he comes. He shows up. He doesn't leave them alone. He pursues them like any good shepherd. And here he asks a question to expose their weakness. This isn't sarcasm. This isn't Jesus being a jerk. This is Jesus using a question to draw out and to show them their weakness. They go back to doing what they think they can do, what they've known their whole life. Some of you, like I said, some of you in here, it's farming. Some, it's banking. You know, some, it's ball. You know, go back to the gym. 
what you know you can do, you can put in the work to do. But just imagine doing that and having nothing, no crop. Uh, you're, 0, you know, you're 0 for 7 uh, from the line. Like You've put in the work, but you have nothing to show for it. And Jesus comes to you and says, how many points do you have? How much corn do you have? How many fish have you caught? He's showing them and us that no matter what you think you can do, you can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. I can do nothing apart from him. And that's what he's showing them. He then tells them, he tells them to throw their net over the right side after they've toiled all night, they don't get any fish. And at this point, there's no like, uh, we shouldn't, they just throw it in. I don't know what's going through their minds at this moment, but they throw it in and they haul in a monster load of fish. And it's reminiscent of that first scene, but there's one big difference. There's a big difference here. The first scene, the nets were bursting, they're busting open and fish were escaping. But in verse 11 of this passage, we see that there were 153 fish. I always thought that was just neat. That hit me one day. It's like, that somebody really recorded, like they counted the fish and here it is recorded. I don't believe there's any like symbolism or anything in this number. It's just, it is what it is. They caught 153 fish and the net was not torn. Jesus is preparing them for gospel ministry. And when they will be sent out to be fishers of men, the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel will not lose one sheep. One for whom Christ died. There will be no busting of the net. And when they see the big catch, John knows exactly who it is. He turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. Who else could tell us to do this? And we haul in this big, big load of fish. It's the Lord. He says to Peter. And Peter, in pure Peter fashion, like many of us, I'll say like many of us men whose mouths run faster than our brains and our bodies act quicker than we can think. Peter, he just starts throwing clothes on and jumps into the water. And so here, before we even get to this last section where Jesus questions Peter's love, you see his love for Jesus. Peter's ashamed. He's gone back to the water but he sees the Lord Jesus and he wants to beat the boat there. He wants to jump in the water and to, to get to, to Jesus before anyone else. And Sinclair Ferguson, when he was speaking on this passage, because it's a little weird. I mean, I, I, the, 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 when they would fish, they would strip down, not, not naked, but they would strip down into very little. And it says here, he put his clothes back on to jump in the water and to go in. And Sinclair was saying, you know, he believes in this moment, you know, Peter is trying to cover up a bit. He knows what he's done. There's some concealing. We, we see it in the garden with Adam and Eve covering with fig leaves. Here, Peter's wanting to cover up, put his clothes back on. And then he jumps in, he swims to the Lord. And here it is that we see uh, the Lord begin to do serious work in Peter's heart. And so then it says, when they go out, or they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. 
So Peter makes it to the shore. The boat comes in and they get out on the land and there's a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it. And I think it's helpful to note here, Jesus didn't have to wait for them to bring any fish to him. This is the one who can multiply fish and loaves. This same Jesus who had done that, here he prepares this meal for them. He doesn't need their fish. He doesn't need a thing from you. You add nothing to the Lord. And that's what makes serving him so amazing. He doesn't need us. But yet he calls us into it in his goodness. And here he's prepared some breakfast for the boys. Could you imagine eating breakfast with Jesus? Like, I know he's with us by the Spirit, but I I just think this is awesome. He eats breakfast with them on a charcoal fire. And do you know where uh, we see that phrase, charcoal fire? The only other place that we see it in the New Testament is in John 18, 18. The charcoal fire that Peter was standing near to warm himself when he was questioned by the, the girl and he denied Jesus. So Jesus is setting the scene here. Charcoal fire. Peter gets out. Could you imagine that? You know, you, you know what it's like to have really hurt someone or really, you know, you, you've committed some sin. You remember the place, the time, everything about it, and you wish you could go back and take it back. And you think of, think of Peter here walking up and seeing the charcoal fire and remembering not, not too many days ago, I was at one just like this and I denied him. And here he is serving me fish. Um, so, Peter, the guys, they're on the shore. Jesus has, has made this charcoal fire. He's cooked them uh, some fish. But he doesn't stop here. This is where we're going to read verses 15 through 19. He lets them eat. And then Jesus takes Peter for a walk. And here in verses 15 through 19, hear what he says to him. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so we get this beautiful, hard passage 
Because Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And y'all know why he did that. It was to match his threefold denial of Jesus. And you know, it appears that Peter, he picks up on it because after the third time, it says that it grieved him because he asked him a third time. This is Jesus. He's skillfully drawing out or drawing Peter out, drawing his heart out. He didn't need a, a verbal confirmation of Peter's love. He didn't, he didn't need that. Jesus is the one who knows all things. And it reminds me of the garden after the fall when Adam and Eve, they go into hiding and God calls out to him and says, where are you? Do you think that was for God? Do you think that he did not know where they were? Y'all, we've got Life 360. Like we know where our kids are, maybe, and how fast they're going. This is like, this, this is Life 360 on steroids. And fit, like God knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. Jesus didn't need to hear it from Peter. Peter needed to say it. These three questions are for Peter's sake. Jesus is taking him back to the beginning. He's not calling him Peter here. He's calling him Simon. Back to the beginning. Back to where it started. Back on the water. Back with the all-night toil and nothing to show. And then the the Jesus miracle with the, the great hall of fish. He's taking him back. He's saying, remember Remember where I called you, what what I've called you to, my love for you. And then he asked Peter the big question, and the question he's asking us today. You know, I, I needed to hear these words come to my heart. I want you to hear them come to yours, not so much from me. Don't don't we're not we're, at this point. Let, we're not hearing them go to Peter. We're hearing them go to our heart with Jesus coming in. And he says, do you love me? I mean, let him probe your heart this morning. He comes to you and he says, do you love me? He takes you back and hands you that computer that you've typed in the web address that you said you'd never do again and you hit click. He hands you the computer and he says, do you love me? You know, he hands you, or he takes you back into that room where you had another knockdown drag out with your husband, wife, and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? He takes you back to that school hall where you hurt that child or that kid. You said something about him and it broke their heart. Or, or you told a lie, gossip. He takes you back there and he says, do you love me? You know, Jesus, he doesn't come to us and say, primarily, he doesn't come to us and say, do you love theology? He doesn't come and say, do you love to serve the community? Do do you love teaching? Do you love your husband? Do you love your wife? He's not asking that question. He's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Because if we can answer that question in the affirmative, it fixes all the other relationships, all the other things. Not, I mean, we're, we're going to fall short, but, but I'm saying it, we need to first remember Jesus. 
And look, when I ask myself that question or I let the Lord ask me that question through his word, you may be just like me. And when you hear that, it cuts you to the core. And you might say like me, like Jesus, I know quite often it doesn't look like I love you. It doesn't look like it, but I do. I do love you. You know, I feel like the helpless father that wanted his son healed and he, and, and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like Peter, after screwing up time and time again, all I can say to the Lord is, Lord, there's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to turn to. You know all things. You know I love you. And at this point, you know, you think back in, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus told Peter, before all this happened, Jesus told Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And he can say that to Simon, and he can, he can say that to us. You know Jesus is our mediator. He died for you that you could be set free of sin, but he lives to make intercession for you, and he prays for you continually. You go read John 17. He was praying for us in that moment. He's praying for you now. And he can say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And, and, then, and then Peter go off and uh, deny Jesus. He can do this because later on in Jesus' life, when he's hanging on a cross, he's not saying, Simon, Simon. He's not saying, Josh, Josh. He's saying, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment on the cross, he's taking Simon's sin and, and my sin and your sin upon himself. And he is forsaken so that in all your denials, you can be welcomed in. Jesus' love for Simon and Jesus' love for you is not fueled by your love for him. Remember the verse that says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he comes to you this morning. If you're in retreat, you know, you may have screwed up again. The zeal has worn out. You're questioning everything. You've gone back to where it's safe and comfortable. You've gone back to fishing. And he comes to you and he says, do you have any fish? And you don't. Then he makes you a meal. He makes you a meal through the preaching of the word. He makes you a meal in the Lord's Supper. He provides for you everything that you have. And then he gets you alone and he says, do you love me? And, and, and he lets us know, you, you, you've seen how I've loved you. You know I love you. I was crucified for you. I rose again for you. I've sent my spirit to dwell in you. You know I love you. And we say, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know my feeble, fluctuating love for you. And then he brings us, like he did Peter, he brings us back to the narrow path. He reminds us of his love for us and that he has put love in our hearts for him. And he says, follow me. If you love me, 
Love one another. Follow me. Learn of me. It's so sweet. The Lord, he loved and continues to love, for he is alive. He loves this oft-failing disciple, Peter. He loves the oft-failing disciple that's in this room. Right after this, it's, it's hilarious. T-Mac got a big chuckle out of this as we were kind of reading through it together. Um, right after this restoration, Peel, P- uh, Peter is still being Peter. We didn't read this section, but right after he restores Peter, you think Peter's just, he's going to get it now. He's just going to get on and, and just go after it. And Jesus tells him, later on in life, Peter, you're going you're gonna to die. You're, you're going to go, they're going to take you away, and you're going to die. <laughs> and Peter turns to John, and he goes, well, what about him? And, and Jesus just lets him know, Peter, that's, that's none of your business. I'm calling you to follow me. And so he does that with us this morning. He's, he, he, he called, or he told Peter, follow me. And as history tells us, Peter did just that. He boldly proclaims the gospel in Acts. By the power of the Spirit, he becomes a great fisher of men. We're here today, believers in Christ, because of what Peter and Paul and James and John, their sharing of the gospel has reached our ears through others. He becomes a great fisher of men. He writes two letters that we have, two letters to the church, encouraging the church to remain steadfast under trial, under persecution. Go read those letters. They are filled with gospel and encouragement to continue on. And then we, we hear, we read of during, during uh, the reign of Nero, Peter, he meets his death. And, and history tells us that he, he, he was going to be crucified and he didn't want to die. He didn't feel himself worthy to die in the same manner that his Savior died. And so they crucified him upside down. So Peter went on by the power of the Spirit. He followed Jesus unto death, no doubt stumbling, falling short throughout the time, but continuing to look to the Lord. So in retreating, the Lord calls you back to himself. He restores you by his grace. He reminds you of his love for you. He loves you more than words can express. And so follow him wherever he leads. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, thank you for this reminder this morning of your great love for us, your pursuit of us, even when we, we act like foolish sheep and we continue to go after things. We continue to go back to things, even good things, to try to find hope and peace and comfort in them. Lord, we ask you this morning, may we not leave here the same as when we came in. May we be reminded of your love, your death, your resurrection on our behalf, and your sending of the Spirit. So help us as we go out to glorify you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel 
and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.